0: Amen. Amen. We can turn to the book of Exodus, chapter thirty-four, verse twenty-nine. Exodus thirty-four, twenty-nine. I had the the privilege of getting to speak to and join the Kent or Federal Way congregation this past week by Zoom, and thank the Lord we uh, have the ability to do that, and I'm thankful that we are a part of a body. This congregation is a part of a body that has more than just us. And, uh, Lord willing, soon we will get to fellowship all together, have another united service. Those are just uh, wonderful times in the Lord. Um, I'm going to, I I believe I'm going to speak today some of the things that I said to the Federal Way congregation on that Zoom um, last Wednesday night. But the Lord has given me some scriptures, and I feel like, He would have us learn from Him. Amen. Amen. Exodus 34, verse 29 says, And it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hands, when he came down from the mount, that Moses wist not, or that means he knew not, that the skin of his face shone while he talked with them. Now, just if you, if you don't know, let me remind you or tell you that this part of the Bible was when Moses went up, it says, to Mount Sinai. Before he went up, the Lord told him, bring two tables of stone because we're going to write some stuff down. We think of that a lot of times commonly as the Ten Commandments and where that came from. So, so Moses had spent time up there with the Lord getting all of that and he came down back to the people to the children of Israel and he didn't know that by spending that time and what all the Lord had done up there his face was now shining brightly he had no everybody say he didn't know know. next verse and when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses Behold, the skin of his face shone, or it shined. And they were afraid to come nigh him, to come near to him. They thought something has happened to Moses, and now his face is shining so brightly that we're probably better off to just stay away. They were afraid of whatever thing just took place with Moses there. And Moses called unto them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned unto him, and Moses talked with them. So he's got a one-on-one now just with the rulers, with the leaders, because the whole congregation said, No, we're going to stay away from Mr. Bright Shining Face, because that's a little creepy. That's what happened. They were afraid. So he has this conversation with just the leaders, the rulers, Afterward, all the children of Israel came nigh, and he gave them the commandment, all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. Verse 33. And till Moses had done speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. He put a cover. This is to cover up the bright, because obviously he's, he knows now, you are, you are scaring us, you're... you're Spooking us because of how bright your face is. He says, okay, well, I've got a word from God. I've got to share it with you. I have to tell you. So he says, I'm going to put this veil on my face so that maybe I'll be a little bit less frightening, but I've got to share this word with you. So he puts the veil on and he talks to them. Next verse. But when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off until he came out. And he came out and spake to the children of Israel that which was commanded. Verse 35, And the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. And Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went to speak with him. This is an incredible encounter like nothing we really see or hear about today. But... That time that Moses would spend with the Lord would change him so much that he would have to put a a buffer between him and the rest of the people because this is just too bright, too powerful. We can't look at it. And then when he goes before the Lord, he takes it off. The Lord's not worried about it. He says, I know, I'm probably the one that put that there. You got that by spending time with me. So I'm not worried about it. So he'd take it off, and then he'd go back out, and he would put it back on. And I just want you to know it's taking every ounce that I have to not make any mention of masks right now. Oh, did I just do that? Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, he's, he, so he's putting his, his veil on to, to speak to the people, and then he takes it off to speak to the Lord. When I see this, and I think about it from the children of Israel's perspective, they know that Moses was their leader, right? They already came out of Egypt. They've already gone through this wilderness thing. That's where they are. And it's kind of like, for better or for worse, their wagon is hitched to Moses' trailer. And so they know this guy. They know the Lord does all kinds of Wild and crazy things with him and through him and for them. They've witnessed all of this. And so they know whatever Moses says is to us from God. But I still need to keep separation. This is the way they're, they're looking at it. I don't want to get too close to that. I don't want to be so wrapped up in what God's doing with Moses that it starts to affect me. I'd rather keep a safe distance and be comfortable in my spot and let Moses be in his spot and in the zone. And I'll just sit back here and I'll hear what he says. And then I'll just try to live and follow after whatever is the word of God, the instructions that he gives from Moses. I think of that and I put it in, in modern day terms right now and I think, how often do we feel like I need some kind of safe space or or buffer between me and God? And I'm comfortable to just let that be the preachers, the worship team, the greeters, the ushers, whoever. They, they can do what they do and then I'll be be more comfortable to have this kind of go-between. And... I'm, I'm safe here. I know that things aren't going to get too wild and crazy right here in my seat. So I'd be more comfortable just staying here. And then even if we're not just talking about it in the church building, but then when we get outside of church and now we're living our lives, it's kind of like, well, I hope Elder Flowers is doing the elder thing today because I'm doing the saint thing today. And as long as he's doing that, I'm comfortable and I'm good staying here in my spot in my role in my lane and if we're not careful we want to put some sort of buffer between the lord and us personally and we and we get our comfort from that that's how, that's the mindset that the children of israel had and it was so much so that i want to be disconnected i i don't want to be too closely connected to what the Lord is doing or saying now this that in itself is not a proper mindset to have but you can get so far into life with that kind of mindset that now you've almost tricked yourself into thinking well this is probably the role that God has for me this must be the design of the church and my spot in the church and so I'm, I'm just gonna keep living this way and then we think oh this is my proper space and if I get outside of this and beyond this oh that's not right God has you know he's not using me the way he's using so-and-so he's, he, he does awesome things through them but not through me because I, I'm here in my spot and if we're not careful, that can become our pr- approach to God in worship. And not just in worship, singing songs and everything. I'm talking about in our life. And I think, I'm, I'm better off staying safe and away from God at a safe distance. And then we trick ourselves into thinking, that's me reverencing God. I'm just so, I'm such a reverent person. I have such a healthy respect for God that... I can't go near him. I ha- he, he's so far beyond me. He's so amazing and great and all that, and I'm just this lowly little, meager little person that I'll stay in my spot, and I'll call that reverence. I'll call that worship or respect or, dare I say, religion. I'll call that my religion, me and my role and him and his role and no blurring of the lines in between. Let me read. I'm going to have to do some reading here because I felt the Lord gave me some things as I was just making these notes, and it's better for me if I just make the notes and read the notes and not try to change the notes. When done improperly, reverence places distance between God and me. When done improperly, I call it reverence, but i 'm actually it 's actually distance. Put God over there, put me over here, and that 's my healthy respect for him. When done properly, reverence becomes worship, which places me right in the middle of God, right in the middle of his presence. I go before him. This is the picture of worship that the Bible gives us you when, when a person comes before the king. And they are bowed down, they are worshiping him, and they are waiting for the king to say, Okay, come a little closer. You can approach my throne. That is proper reverence and worship. I'm going to get closer to him, I'm going to draw nearer to him until I am wrapped up in him, and he's all around me, and then I am in him, in his spirit. And he dwells in me and he dwells all around me. That's proper. Not uh, arm's length, safe distance. I want you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. Paul, writing this book to the church in Corinth, he mentions what we just read about there with Moses and the veil and his face shining brightly. Paul mentions it. But he draws a sharp contrast between that, what took place there in, in Exodus with Moses in the veil, and what's taking place now. What is the proper way to go before the Lord or, or for us to live a life as he would have us live it. Live 2 Corinthians 3, verse 5. Not that we... Are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. That means God gives us what we need to be who we need to be. He makes us sufficient, not ourselves. Verse 6 Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament. Everybody say New Testament. New Testament. He has made us, me and you, able ministers of the New Testament. That means the the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ applied to us through repentance, water baptism, and infilling of the Holy Ghost. That is the New Testament. And he's made us able ministers that we can share that, that we can tell that, that we can teach that. Amen? Amen? He's made us able ministers. The New Testament. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. This is the sharp contrast that I mentioned. He talks about letter, or what we call the law, and the Spirit. The law and the spirit, the law and the spirit. He says the law, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. We get to be able ministers of the New Testament and tell people you don't have to just try to fulfill the letter of the law of the Bible. And if you don't, sorry. No, we get to tell them you get to have the spirit of God come and live and dwell in you. And that gives you life. Here and eternally, the Spirit gives life. Verse 7, but if the ministration of death, he's going to talk about Moses here, what just happened there. But if the ministration of death written and engraved in stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Of Moses, for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. That's a big fancy way of Paul saying, if the law was so great, if the law, the letter, and that's why we we call it the law, because that's what was written on the tablets. Okay? The instructions of God, the letter, the law. If that was so great, So powerful, so awesome that Moses could not even approach the children of Israel with it because of how he looked, because of the the bright, shining face. If that was that great, then how much greater should be the Spirit? How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? You can't be trying to go and minister the Spirit. Let the Holy Ghost minister to people and not expect some kind of great, awesome, powerful glory. Not of you and me. He said it earlier. We're not sufficient of ourselves. The Holy Ghost makes us sufficient. But if I am going and ministering the Holy Spirit... Expect, not like, oh, it's so bright. Look away, I can't look at that. No, but expect something very similar in the spirit of the person. Because the person is going to be quickened by the work of the spirit. And they're going to say, you know what? That is truth. That is power. That is glory. And And now we're seeing a change. 2 Corinthians chapter over here. Skip down to verse 12. Now that we got that, this is what Paul says. Now that we know the spirit ministering and not the letter of the law ministering brings this great and awesome power, seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. He's telling them that's why we go around and talk the way we do about God, about the scripture, about Jesus. We have great plainness of speech. I don't have any need to make it sound flowery. I don't have any need to make it sound, you know, so special. There are some people today, they just, they, I don't know, they've heard it somewhere in the past, incorrectly, that you can't even mention his name. His name is so great and powerful. Or if I'm going to send it in an email, I'm not going to type it because I'm a little too afraid to type it because it's so glorious. Or, or I'm going to put it in a special font, so that it stands out from the rest. Paul says no. We use plainness of speech. Plainness of speech means me going to a person and then speaking to them in such a way that I know they're going to understand. Not talking way over everybody's heads. We use plainness of speech because we know it's the Spirit that that allows us to minister the New Testament. Verse 13, And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end that which is abolished, but their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. Man, that's... You want to talk about a accusation, you want to talk about an accusation, Paul is saying that these ones still have a veil over their heart, not over their eyes anymore, but because of the way that, what I was just talking about at the beginning, because of their attitude and their thought of, no, I don't want to get too close to God. I don't want to get too real. I don't need any of that. I'm going to stay back here and stay safe. Because of that, generations later, he's saying, they are still blinded in their heart. Every time the Old Testament is read, they don't see who wrote it. They don't see how it got there. They don't see the purpose of it. They just see a man with a veil reciting words. Because they're blinded. This is Paul's words, not mine. There remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which is done away in Christ. Verse 15, But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord, verse 17, now the Lord is that spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I'm sure many of us have heard that verse, but didn't know where it was in the Bible. Didn't know what, what story it was about. Who was it talking about? In fact, the Lord gave me that scripture and he said, now the Lord is that spirit. And I thought, okay, pause, hang on, time out. I need to know which spirit. Because that's the way that we so frequently emphasize this read, the reading of this verse. Now the Lord is that spirit. What spirit? Well, what, are we, what have we been talking about? the the ministry of the new testament which is not the letter of the law but it's the letter of the spirit the the ministry of the spirit and if that's the lord then he says where the where the lord is there is liberty liberty is not feeling like you have to do something special To get God. Or not feeling like you can't do certain things because if you do, you won't get God. Liberty is following after the spirit of God and it telling you what to do. How to speak. How to live. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Verse 18 But we all, with open face, no veil, with open face, beholding as in a glass, we look in a mirror and we see the glory of the Lord. You mean I should look in the mirror and see the glory of God? Yes, that's exactly what Paul said. When you are, when the Lord is there, when the spirit is there, and you are living according to the Holy Spirit, You look in a glass without a veil, and you see, the the glory means the image of. You see the image of the Lord. When you're doing it right. We are changed into the same image. We are changed into the same image image from glory to glory. That means from my glory to His glory. From the way that I look to the way that He looks. When I see, I look, he, I don't need a veil over, I don't, I don't need special instruction for the Word of God and no, well, it only applies to, no, I have the Holy Ghost inside me and the Holy Ghost tells me, live like this, And you'll look like me. I didn't know the Lord was going to try to make that point, but that's the point that he's making. When you live like me, you will look like me. And when you look in the mirror and you think you're seeing yourself, you are seeing me. Some of us, we might need to look a little extra in the mirror and make sure, is that really what I think God looks like? talking about the contrast that Paul's making here. The contrast between the letter somebody that just lives according to the letter of the law versus the spirit. The spirit. The, when you live according to the letter of the law you just try to check every box make sure I'm doing this and not doing this and if I can do all of that, then I'm a good Christian. Then I've done what I'm supposed to do. And we think, well, it's our Christian duty to do what we're supposed to do. But Paul says we, the Spirit makes us able ministers of the New Testament. The Spirit, I've got to, I know I'm repa- repeating this, but I've got to make it clear. It is the Spirit that does the work. through us. I call this spirit ministry. Spirit ministry. When the spirit is ministering through me. There is a difference between spirit ministry and any other kind of ministry. I'm not going to take the time to read this, but if you look in Acts, I think it's 10 or uh, chapter 11, it starts to talk about this, this city called Antioch. And they would go in and out of this place called Antioch. At one point it says they were there for over a year teaching. And it says they were first called, the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. I wonder... I I was shocked to know this. I wonder if anybody knows this. How many times the word Christian is mentioned in the Bible? Three. That's it. Three times the word Christian is mentioned in the Bible. And it has a very simple meaning. One who follows Christ. One who follows Christ. That's it. You try to make make any more of that. That's not what the word means. You try to make any less of that. That's not what the word means. Christian, one who follows Christ. I got to read some more things to you here that I felt the Lord give me. We. Have take, we have to take the focus off of trying to be the best Christian we can be. Now, if that is our focus, if that's been my focus or your focus, the Lord is helping us refocus today. My goal, hear me, my goal is not to be the best Christian that I can be. Because the problem is this world has so distorted the meaning of a Christian. The world wants to say, well, Christians, if you're I want to be a Christian what do I need to do accept the Lord as your Savior just accept the Lord as your Savior and then you can go around telling people you're now a Christian Woohoo! I did it I just had to say a few words accept the Lord as my Savior Oh, no, 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 it's it's going to be a little bit more difficult than that, brother. Sorry. I know we've got a a whole history of the universe built around this, so it's going to be a little bit more difficult than a few words. We're going to make it a longer prayer. Give it a little bit more unction and emphasis and, whoo, put the right words in there. Talking about confessing, I'm a sinner. Yeah, yeah, Go go down that road a little bit and make sure you know how bad you are. And then you can be a Christian. Let's go back to just saying we accept him as our Savior, because that's a lot easier. And I promise you, you'll find some on both. What about just give my heart to to Christ? That's not a bad place to start, but can you tell me really how you do that? And if you only have to do it one time, Well, not just my heart, my life. Okay, now we're getting getting closer. Give your life to Christ. But not just some words, not just some words that we say. Giving your life to Christ honestly really means, like I said earlier, if he woke me up this morning, then it's his life, not mine. If he will wa- let me read you this. Uh, when the Lord told me this, I felt like, I don't know if I heard that right. The world does not need more Christians. I'm letting that pause for effect like it did for me, when I heard that from the Lord. What do you mean the world doesn't need? And then he said, no, it needs Christ. It does not need more Christians, more people running around saying they're Christians. The world needs Christ. And you know what? There's only one Christ. If my goal is to be a good enough Christian, then the problem with that is when I become that, I get the glory. If I say my goal is to be... One day I want to be one of those that can check every box and does all the right stuff and doesn't do any of the wrong stuff. When I finally get there then what happens next I just say I made it I've arrived I became good enough at being a Christian if that's my goal to be the best Christian I can be then way to go pat on the back but that's you getting the glory the Bible says specifically no flesh glory in his presence it also says he will not share his glory with another when christ let me read this one so that was if my goal is to be a good enough christian now read this it's almost it sounds the same but it's not if my goal is to be christian good enough that others want to be a Christian too, I still get the glory, even if it's only in my own mind. I think, well, if I'm just living the life good enough, successful enough, correct enough, and then others see it and they think, well, that's a good Christian, let me try to live the way they do. The problem is, when that happens, I'm still getting the glory, because I say, yes, I won that person. I've now got a follower. Oh, hang on. What was the definition of Christian? One who follows Christ. If I'm trying or... Okay, we're getting... I know. I know. We have to stop and observe the congregations and say... Is this congregation following Christ? Or is that congregation following a man? And letting that man tell who does what and when and where and how. And I think, well, as long as I'm loyal to the man, as long as I serve that man or his wife or their family, and I'm loyal to them, then I'm going to make it to heaven. The problem is we're not following christ but we would turn around and say we're all christians right we would say that we're christians because we all go to a church that preaches about jesus but there is one definition of i'm going to say this again the word christian is in the bible three times once is what i what we mentioned earlier in antioch where they said the disciples were first called christians at antioch Another one is when Paul is talking to, I think it's Agrippa, and he says, almost thou persuaded me to be a Christian. That means you got this close to me giving my life to Jesus correctly and following him. Almost. When Christ lives through me, he does all of the work and He gets all of the glory. Matthew chapter 6. 16, sorry. Matthew 16, verse 24. Jesus speaking here. He said, If any man will come after me, If any man will come after me, that means to follow after me, to go to let me be the guide and then them follow as I am the guide. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I don't want, uh, uh, just get this picture in your mind. What was it, the old, the old, uh, oh. nursery rhyme or something about the uh, the pied piper is that who it is? The one that, that blows the pipe and then it gets all those critters or kids or whatever they are I don't know this story but it's the, it's the mental image I've got if it's if, if, he's, if Jesus is saying someone's going to follow after me and I as Jesus carried my cross up to the place of death and died on it and that's me and I'm I'm the one that everybody's following I'm the guide and they're gonna live after me if I'm carrying that and I turn around and look and see a bunch of people with no crosses what's going on here are you really trying to follow me because if I'm the guide and you know the life that I lived and then the death that I died, and how I fulfilled my purpose, then how are you going to follow me like... Oh, we're stopping. Okay. Oh, we're going to go again? All right. Good. Consumed with our own lives. Consumed with our own plans, our own thoughts. And Jesus said it very plainly. If anyone will come after me, that means follow me. You can't just try to walk the same path without carrying the cross. But you first have to deny yourself. That means, oh man, what a great time of year to be preaching this message about denying ourselves. The holidays are almost here. Pumpkin pies almost here. I'm just kidding. I'm not, uh, maybe the Lord will bring this back to you when you go to eat. But to deny myself means, literally, I know what I want, but I'm not going to get it. To deny myself. Now, we're talking about our life. Our life. Not just like, oh, I made it through that meal and didn't have the second piece of cake. I'm winning. (laughs) I'm talking about our life. Every day, every day. I'm waking up and I'm thinking, I know what I want to do today. I know what my plan would be for this day. But I am only going to do that First of all, if the Lord allows me to. But greater than that, I'm going to seek him for what he wants me to do this day. I'm denying myself. We sang this song earlier. My life is not my own. Think about those words for just a minute. My life, my life, the cars I drive, the house that I sleep in, the job that i go to all of the things that identify me they are not my own i don't get to choose them galatians chapter 2 verse 20 paul wrote this i am crucified with christ Just like he heard what what Jesus said in Matthew there. If anyone's going to come after me, deny himself, take up his cross. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, yet I live. I am crucified with Christ, but I'm still here on this earth. Yet, not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me, and gave himself for me. I'm almost done here. Philippians chapter one, verse 20 Paul. First we read it in Corinthians, then we read it in Galatians, now we're going to read it in Philippians. All books that Paul wrote in this same message, the same theme that he says, your life's not your life. If you want to be a Christian, if you want to really follow Christ, you've got to let him control, oh, there's the word. You've got to let him control your life. I love, the, I love the way that Paul puts this here in Philippians chapter 1. Verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed but that with all boldness as always so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body let me let me read just these notes to you first just quickly you you and i can reach a point i would actually say we should reach a point where we are no longer trying to Live like Christ or be like Christ, but the next step or the next phase is when you are living, it's not really you living, it's Christ living. Paul reached this point where he could say that simply by living, by being alive, Christ was living in the world. We're going to get there to the verse, but I've got to give you these notes first. You can get to the point where you know if you die, you reach your reward. You know it. No question, no wondering, no doubt, no hoping. I know that if I die, I have reached my reward. But if I keep living, the work of God will get done in my life. Through my life. Verse twenty one. For to me to live is Christ. And actually let me tell you, if you've got a King James Version, it, that word is is in italics. And it says for to me to live is Christ, but you can take that word out because the translators added that word. So it actually says, For to me to live is Christ to me to live Christ Christ is the outcome of me living him living is the outcome of me living and to die is gain but if I live in the flesh this is the fruit of my labor verse 23 for I am in a straight Betwixt two. I've got two things going on here. Two choices. To live or to die. If I live, Christ is living. If I die, I'm going to heaven and I'm going to reach my reward. These are not difficult choices. As long as There's nothing in this life that I don't want to lose. That I'm so tied to. That's the the point. If I get to the place where I'm no longer living and I think, I can't give that up because I like, you fill in the blank, I like that too much. For me to live is Christ, but to die is no more McDonald's. Man, that's a hard decision. I'm being facetious there. But you see what I'm saying. The things that I love in this world better not keep me from saying, here's a little bit more accurate depiction. For me to live, I keep getting McDonald's but for me to die i'm going to heaven or for me to live i can keep riding the motorcycle cuz i love it but for me to die that's that's the difference in a life that's your own versus a life that's not your own paul says it's not a tough choice Because I know if I'm going to keep living, the work of Christ is going to keep getting done. That's not a bad thing. And if I die, I'm going to go be with Him. That's not a bad thing. So now he says, I'm in a strait betwixt two. Having a desire to depart, I want to go. I want to go. Does anybody want to go to heaven? Having a desire to depart and to be with Christ which is far better. Next verse. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Imagine, just imagine if you would. I know it's so far off from most of our perspective most of the time. But imagine living, knowing, as long as I'm alive, that's good because the work of God will keep getting done. But if I'm no longer alive, that's good because I get to go be with him. We can stand. I'm almost done. if I if I could make it my goal it would be like what we read at the beginning where Moses gets the word and comes down from the mountain and now when people look at him they see such a change they see such a transforming that's I think that's Moses but his face is so bright I can barely look at him. You know what that, that, what that does? It becomes a testimony. A lot of times we think, well, I, I, don't, I, can't, I'm not, you know, I don't know if I've got a good testimony because I don't really have a lot of great things that I can say about what God's done in my life and I could listen to somebody else's testimony and man, it is so powerful. They can tell you about how they used to be this and used to do that. and God helped them here and delivered them from that. Yeah, what a testimony that is. And then I compare it to my life and I think, well, that's just kind of bland right here. No, the testimony is when someone that doesn't know Jesus looks at you and sees Jesus. I don't have to, I don't have to be able to tell them a 30-minute recount of the history of my life. No, if they're seeing Jesus, that's the point. They've reached it. It's just like what Paul says when he says, if I'm going to keep living, if I'm going to keep being here, Jesus is going to keep getting his work done because I'm here. I thought about this kind of when the Lord gave it to me this way. He asked the question, because Paul says, if I'm here, the work of Christ will keep getting done. I felt the Lord ask the question, what is the work of Christ? Christ. What is the work of Christ? So that I can know it's going to keep getting done. The scripture says, Paul again wrote, Christ came into the world to save sinners. To save sinners. That's why he came into the world, to save sinners. As long... As long as you and I are alive, that work should continue to be getting done. And not me, not just me, all right, great, I, I can work on saving myself for 70 years. Problem with that is you don't know when your time is up. But I get beyond that and I think, nope, I can work as Christ. Saving, reaching, helping, until he decides, my time here is done. This is why Paul could say, I have finished my course. I've ran the race. This is the last last point I'm going to try to make when i heard a preacher put it this way paul was not patting himself on the back when he said i've ran a good race no that's not paul if you know him at all he does not ever use such a word to describe him and who he is and what he is the race is a good race the course the life that god has chosen us to live Is a good life, a commendable course, race. We can get so consumed with our own life, our own world, me and mine, our family, what we're doing. We can get so consumed with that that we don't even realize God put us here to run a good race to chase after to pursue Paul says to apprehend the thing for which I've been apprehended I believe the Lord wants to help us today to examine our lives for as much for however much longer you and I are gonna live we are going to get 24 hours in every day that we live. We know that. Those of us that are married, for as long as our spouse lives and we live, we are going to get 24 hours a day with that spouse. Those of us that have children, as long as we live and they live, we're gonna get 24 hours a day with those families. I believe the Lord would cause us right now to examine our lives. I'm not looking for guilt or shame about what I've done in the past and the life I've lived up till now. The Lord says, today, the scripture says this, today is the day of salvation. And from this day forward, if that becomes my motto, Today is the day of salvation. First of all, I'm going to know it right away. I'm saved. But greater than that, today is still the day of salvation because every one of us in the family, the co-workers, the neighbors, everyone that we see and encounter, today is the day of salvation. And Paul's looking at the church and saying, as long as I'm here, the church is going to keep my my role and my part of the church is going to keep getting done because I know Christ came into the world to save sinners. I'd like us to pray, Lord, I thank you for speaking to us today. I thank you for the truth of your word, God. I know and I believe, Jesus, that you are the savior of the world you are the one that would reach down into a lost situation into a hopeless cause god and you would bring salvation you would reach father you would live through us god in such a way that i know the work of the kingdom of god is being done through my life Father, I commit myself right now, this day, Lord Jesus, I commit myself to living according to the life that You would have me live, following after You, following after You, so that I know, Lord, I am living as Christ. I am living as Christ. I want Jesus to live through me. I don't want it to be my life anymore in the name of jesus i'm going to open these altars i'm encouraging you to find a place and pray let us know let us speak to the lord and know god i'm laying my life down i'm laying my life down lord jesus and letting you live through me i want your direction i want your calling god i want your burden I want it to be Your direction for my life, God. Not the things that I would pursue. Not the desires of myself, Lord. God, I lay those down right now and I give them to You. I give myself to You, Father. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I'm gonna pursue after You, Lord. I'm going to run and chase after you, Lord Jesus. And know that you have apprehended me. And know that you have called me. Know that you are living your life through me, Lord Jesus. God, I don't want to get any glory of myself. God, I'm not looking to boast in myself, in my accomplishments. God, I'm looking to give you glory. I want to be changed into your glory. I want to be changed into your glory, Jesus. you so. take much longer. I just want to share this quickly with you. The Lord just brought back to my memory a time uh, us men from a few of the congregations gathered on on the hill up here to pray one morning and uh, the Lord had all, uh, I can't remember the exact qualifiers, but it had to do with if you were a the child of a minister, a preacher. Now, please don't disqualify yourself or say this is only for a few. No, the Lord wants us all to hear this right now. He had those, and, and there was at least eight or nine, maybe more than that, men of all various ages. And I felt like what the Lord was saying was... Nothing can replace what these men and, and us women here as well if you, are, if you were raised and born and raised in the house of a preacher a minister and in that house there was a holy presence of God that worked and operated through the parents nothing can replace that Furthermore, nothing can overcome that. The scripture is very plain when it says, raise up, train up a child in the way they should go. Children need this. Children need it. Why else would the Lord have Solomon write those words? But the Lord knows from the time you are a child and you are learning, you are impressionable and you are observing and seeing. Now, I know that's not the course that the Lord has for every person, not even all of us here. But if that is you, if that is me, the Lord is telling us today Nothing can overcome what you learned as a child. Because you didn't just learn it from a teacher. You were trained in it by the Spirit of God. I've I've prayed with people before. I've prayed with people before in their teenage years and in their adulthood and you, you know, oh man, they, they might not be doing right right now. But when you start to pray and you realize the Spirit of God is here in this vessel because of who they were as a child and how they were raised, how they were trained up. Now, if you're, if you're 10 or 20 or 40 or 60 and you were that, Thank God for it. It's still there. It applies. But each one of us with children of our own or because we're a part of this congregation and this congregation has children of its own, we have the responsibility to train up, to live in such a way that I know the children are being trained the way they should. Jesus, I thank you for your spirit that's here today. I thank you for the ongoing work of your spirit, God. There is no power greater than yours, Lord Jesus. There is no word higher than yours. There is no name higher than yours, Jesus. I thank you for it, Lord God, and I thank you for speaking, ministering, and reaching to us today. I pray let the work of God continue Let the work of Christ continue in the lives of these individuals, I pray. We give you thanks and glory in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You are dismissed.